everybody. Before we get to the podcast, I just want to say a quick thanks to everybody who is already supporting the podcast uh, through Buy Me a Coffee, through uh, PayPal, or the other means listed in the show notes. Uh, all of this money is going to support the work of delivering this podcast to everybody. And that means creating transcriptions so that people who uh, want to access it but can't listen to the podcast for any number of reasons can still take part in these conversations and benefit from them. Uh, I really do think that it is our collective uh, obligation to uh, really make sure that we are looking at accessibility in a, as broad a spectrum as possible. Uh, and if you uh, believe that too, I hope that you will jump in and uh, help support that process. Either way, I certainly really do hope that you are enjoying the podcast. Uh, please do share it with your friends and people you know who will be digging it also. I think that the conversations that we are having here are significant and an important part of the spiritual world in which we live, which are not really being had in a lot of other places. All right, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of the Hermit's Lamp podcast. Today I am hanging out with Auntie Kay, uh, or Krista, she's also known. Uh, and we, uh, I came across their work when they released their Land Back Tarot and Oracle of Colonization, which came out uh, earlier this year, had a very successful Kickstarter and so on. And I was intrigued to... Uh, look at a deck that and look at a person's work that spoke of their indigenous culture and their background and tried to bring that awareness uh, into the tarot world in a way that uh, I think is really important, you know, because of the long history of the way in which tarot has been uh, very centered as white and, you know, often sort of appropriate and just sort of amalgamating of other cultures and stuff. So I thought it'd be great to have Krista on here and talk about their work and their perspective and whatever else comes up. But for people who aren't familiar with you, um, why don't you, why don't you tell us who you are? Thanks. Um, I'm Auntie Kay or Krista. I'm Lakota and Cajun and uh, I'm, I'm a tarot reader. I am. Um, I struggled in my relationship with tarot for the majority of it because um, I struggled to connect with the cards in a way where I enjoyed looking at the images and tarot's art. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, as, um, as an, in I'm also an activist. I've done activism for 31 years until I sort of handed over the reins to my daughter and um but all those issues and topics are still really close to my heart. And um, the two sort of came together when I was like, I known for six years, I wanted to create a tarot deck. I tried mm -hmm. for six years. And then when I had the time to myself, um, the, the two came together. Um, I knew I wanted to see myself in my community in a tarot deck. I knew that's what the problem was. Try and get my dog to come inside. Come on. <laughs> She's a chihuahua and can't really run around in the woods by herself. <laughs> Fair enough. Not, not in bear and fisher country. Yeah. Um. And and so that's who I am and why I created a tarot deck. Um. We can talk about more of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that I think that it's really important to have these decks that are created by people who are from those cultures right or from different backgrounds you know and i think that yeah you know there's a lot of yeah stuff that's out there that's done by uh, other people you know like 
you know, so for me, I'm, I'm a, a initiate in Afro-Cuban Orisha practice, you know, and I made my Orisha deck. It took a long time because I looked at the decks that were out there and the things that had done. And there was a lot of stuff that just didn't make any sense within the context of the tradition itself or the culture, which yeah. it comes from and so on. And, you know, it, it's, it's difficult because when people don't know better then they don't know better, but now here's this opportunity yeah. for people to really know better. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there's decks out there with native folks in them, mm-hmm. but I, I think like mine and the gentle tarot by Mari in the sky are the exceptions in that they're made by indigenous folks. And we're seeing more of that coming out this year also mm-hmm. um, with other world indigenous cultures. But when I look at like native American decks by folks who aren't native and by white folks who claim a distant ancestry and mm-hmm. are actually removed from that culture I, I don't see myself. I see a stereo, a white stereotype image of myself in um, this romanticized 1800s time period. And it's disturbing <laughs> because romanticizing how indigenous people were in that time period is romanticizing our reaction and survival to genocide. Mm. and Mm -hmm. i wish people would think about this artistically you would not paint anybody else in the height of their genocide and say how amazing how beautiful let's uh let's put that in a tarot deck Mm -hmm. but like white folks don't look at that time period and say that was the height of our genocide because then they have to say that was genocide yeah for sure uh, they say they like to imagine that's that's how we were before colonialism how we were before colonialism was in like the land most abundant with food in all the world sure yeah um you know we we weren't that was incredible that had to have been incredibly different than us in the 1800s um <laughs> and in every way yeah um i i remember and uh so go ahead yeah i I just remember hearing about uh uh columbus when they when they came across and they had sort of tied up their boats and the all the, the thing i read which really hit home for me about one of the differences between the nature then and the nature subsequently was they said that the uh, that none of the people who came with them, none of the the you know the the sailors, could sleep because of the constant sound of turtles bouncing their shells off the boats. And I'm like, can you, can I even imagine what it's like to to be to see enough of those things, those animals, that that would be a problem? And I can't even imagine it, you know, because having been yeah. to some places in the Caribbean, I've actually never seen a seafaring turtle, you know, whereas then there were just so many of them that this was the problem that they had. And I, and I think that that was true in other ways for other animals and so on everywhere, right? Other animals for plants, um, 80% of the world's food diversity is indigenous to the Americas. And yet <laughs> equally, that's the percent of food diversity we've lost in the Americas from colonialism. Yeah. Like this land was clear cut. It Mm -hmm. it's, it's been raised to the ground and I don't think North Americans understand that because they see forests and wilderness, but like it's been cleared and what's left is the regrowth is not the same. And that's largely because we cultivated nature as, as beings of nature, we cultivated nature and that's why it was abundant because we took part in our roles and responsibilities within it. We mm-hmm. didn't, we didn't change it. We didn't take control of it. Um, we participated. Yeah. And, um, and that's why it was abundant. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, you know, and the dis- distinction is obvious, right? Like, look at Europe, look at every, you know, all those places. And of course, North America now, you know, there's just, it's just that process of like, push it until it breaks and then try and conserve what's left, right? Which is obviously yeah, deeply problematic, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, you know, <laughs> coming back to seeing all that in decks, um, the, there's this misconception about who we were mm-hmm. and, and how we lived. And there's this romanticization of our genocide, which also is like an erasure. If folks want to put indigenous people in their decks and, and folks should be making diverse decks, they one need to get to know people. Yeah. The internet lets us get to know people from all over the world mm-hmm. and they need to put in uh, representations of the people we're meeting and they're not meeting people from the 1800s. Right. Um, we, we live today Indigenous erasure is about pretending we don't exist. Mm-hmm. And when we're only shown in art um, in the past and not in the present, that that's part of that erasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good question to ask, right? Um, who do we have a relationship with, right? We were talking a bit about this before we got on the the recording part right like who do we actually know who's in our world who are we connected to you know and you know one of the things that has been significant for me um is is this question of you know obviously there's like lots of activism that can be done you know in terms of like writing government and like there's lots of stuff to do but one of the parts of the activism for me is like where can i form relationships you know, with connections to this culture, to the people who are here and so on, not in a like showing up and like, Hey, Krista, we should be friends. You should be my friend now. Cause I want an indigenous friend but in terms <laughs> of like, how do I actually form a connection? And then as I form those connections, you know, um, then, then the question can arise or can just be seen what could be done for the, to help from my position you know, as well as the rest of that stuff and asked and, and so on, you know, but, but when you don't have those connections, yeah. then like you say, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're looking at a period piece, right. And you're looking at a period piece yeah. devoid of history and devoid of connection. And, and what are you actually connected to, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think one of the struggles is, making those connections and those relationships to um, folks from other circles. It's also like we were talking about the expectation that how you socialize is, is culturalized. It's, it's based on your culture. It can be based on subcultures like being queer. Um, And um, you know, sometimes it's even different than that. We were talking about, um, being neurodivergent, being a different culture of how one socializes. Um, and there's this expectation, um, the closer one is to cultures of whiteness, that everybody should socialize as you do. Everyone should socialize as a straight, white, neurotypical male. Yeah. Um, or also a straight white neurotypical female and Mm -hmm. um when we don't um we have these strained relationships and so i think that what it really requires is like the closer you are to those cultures of whiteness is being aware that the onus becomes on you to um to to learn to socialize in other ways Mm-hmm. And um, as somebody who was scooped, I, I was socialized to behave, um, to behave straight and white. And I had to become aware of that um, when, when I left um, my scoop home. Mm-hmm. I had to become aware of that. Um, it, yeah. Beca- yeah, because it was harmful when I wasn't. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Even as an indigenous person, I was still harmful um, because I'd been trained to live in, you know, that world and to behave a certain way and to behave as, as a light-skinned indigenous person, um, to behave as any light-skinned brown person, you know, society tries to train you to uh, appease to them and be the good example for other brown folks, which is incredibly hurtful. Yeah. And, um, and we likewise have to be aware of that and, and consciously, um, consciously change in order to like socialize safely within our own communities. And so the closer someone is to cultures of whiteness, they have to be aware of that to socialize safely within their own communities. It's like gentrification is a large part of how it happens. And focused of infinity said this on their Instagram account is going in and to a neighborhood and changing the culture of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Not just the demographics. Well, I'm sitting in my studio, uh, which is right at the the edge of that line in this neighborhood, right? So I'm basically like at Sherburne and Girard, and you okay. know, so so there's there's, and I remember like I, I dated a woman who lived on Girard right by the park back in 1990 or something like that, you know? Yeah, and you you just didn't go into the park. And you definitely didn't walk in the grass because who knows what you're going to step because it was dangerous. And especially at night, it was dangerous. Right. And I actually can relate to this really well um, because as a little kid uh, between the age of five and 10, I lived off um, Gerard with some relatives because I was put into acting and I don't know how to ride a bike because no one was going to let a kid ride a bike down Girard. <laughs> no, no, not at no. all. Right. Yeah. Right. And now, you know, we flash forward a, a bunch of years, right? Not that many years, just a few years, <laughs> a bunch of years. And, um, you know, and they're, you know, it's right at the corner, they're going to put in a condo and right where the, the, the beer store is two streets over, they're going to put in a condo and all of this stuff is changing, you know, and, now before it's changed it reminds me of the old toronto that i remember and you know there's lots of people around there's lots of stuff going on and you know people in in all sorts of different ways of being and with different kinds of problems and other things and and yet you know it's comfortable and it's engaged and it's not gentrified right which but it's just just cresting towards it you know and i can imagine in five years or ten years you won't, you won't, just won't see any of it anymore. It'll all be gone. The police will have yeah. rounded people up. They will have taken the tents out of the park. They will have, you know, they will patrol the laneways to make sure nobody's like drinking or doing drugs there and, and all of these kinds of things. And it'll just be gone, but it won't be fixed, right? It'll just be gone. So, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it will be. Yeah. Um, the neighborhood I raised my kids in, um, when I lived in a small city, um, it got gentrified. And so we got, you know, pushed into the ungentrified corner and, um, and, you know, the, the police would patrol through there heavily. Um, and, um, there was a Facebook group for the gentrified section around the park. And uh, they would on there, you know, post things like there's a drunk native, there's a drunk black person walking down the street. What should I do? Oh, you should call the police. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like we have to walk down that street to get to our neighborhood. Um, Just going home. And yeah, just just going home. And then the last two years before I left the city, I, I found this teeny tiny bachelor on the very edge of the gentrified section. And it, it was by the edge of where the students were and all the pubs where everyone goes drinking. And the cops would sit in this corner and um, beautifully, they couldn't see our porch, but we could see them 
and I would watch them walk students home drunk while picking up folks heading into that north end and um yeah you know yeah yeah well and I feel like you know so one of the things I, I as I was like looking back through your through some of your deck and stuff like that you know to me this kind of brings us brings me back to some of the changes that you've made in the deck you know and the way yeah. in which you're highlighting this other perspective or this other lived name perspective lived experience right you know mm-hmm. and like the one that uh the one that comes to mind right now is uh, the righteous anger right is, is that the correct title for it yeah the yeah. righteous rage righteous yeah. rage yeah yeah right righteous rage and i think that like you know that that fits into what we're talking about here comes out of what we're talking about here right this duality mm-hmm. this not listening this not relating and this sort of you know policing of people's expression and behavior that in a way that continues to to separate and and you know so on so yeah yeah and righteous rage is in the oracle of colonization section and it shadows the lovers in the major arcana Mm -hmm. and um the reason it does is because righteous rage is an expression of self-love um and you know that righteous rage is is when you allow yourself to express it and feel it and give it validity that is a huge amount of self-love because you're recognizing where you're harmed and and where you're experiencing things you should not be experiencing and you're saying like enough yeah (laughs) enough um and it's it's that sort of enough where like you might have said it before but like now you know you've tried the other options and it it's time to shut it down like whatever that cost is yeah and um it's something we're we're told we're really not allowed to have especially marginalized folks um you're not allowed to be enraged by whatever your oppressions are and um yeah yeah and i think it's so easy i mean number one, like i love what you've done with that card and i love that, that that conversation is coming forward right and i think you know especially in canada right now you know it, i mean the 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 truth of things is emerging and yet people are still mm-hmm. dodging it and you know so on and justin trudeau went on holiday on truth and reconciliation day Right. Like, I mean, it's, it's, there's lots of reasons. Well, I mean, he did just give all federal employees a paid day off. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Well, we continue to go to work. (laughs) Yeah. And while, you know, a bunch of indigenous communities don't have safe drinking water, right? Like, well, we don't have safe drinking water. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's fine. Yeah. Um, and, And I, and I think that, facing that you know and like in 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 canada facing that with its you know indigenous genocide and history is really important and i love that there's also like a lot of layers to that right because i remember having a conversation with a youth recently about something that they had happened to them and they're like no no it's fine and i'm like no it's not fine and actually in 10 years if you're talking about this with your therapist they're going to be that was completely unacceptable and borderlined on abuse. And the, and the youth was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, because the situation doesn't allow you to express anything around it. So what you're left with is suppression, right? Which is just always inward damage. Right. And then that becomes internalized and, and it takes maybe these moments of uh, explosion, right. Either, either Mm -hmm. in, in big, in big settings or in small settings, um, to really let that out and be like, oh my God, actually, yeah, that is unacceptable and so on, right? Yeah. And I think we saw some expressions of righteous rage this year since um, 
since you know the the graves were uncovered and um you know we we saw more statues topple and um and we saw the church being burned we saw churches being burned um that reminded me a lot of my righteous rage card if i ever sure. did a second edition that's uh -huh. probably what i would do um yeah. And, you know, there's people in our communities that felt healed by it. And there yeah. was people who said, you can't do that. You can't do that. Um, you can't do that. It's wrong to do it. And it's like, no, no, Th this is an expression of righteous rage. And it's a really healthy one. And, you know, frankly, burning down the root of genocide, <laughs> which is the church, uh, is, is, is righteous it's um you know i think i think like people want to separate churches from from that also and the reality is at least in north america if not everywhere else that's been colonized um you know churches christianity be a trigger warning when we think of like what it's cost sure. um yeah 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 in in when i made my arisha deck um i put the the church on the devil card right because it's like yeah we're too. so good we're so good <laughs> right and it's like no 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 you're yeah. you're you're the system that's 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 lying right that's deceitful that's causing yeah. all these problems and you know and and for folks who don't know go and like google uh, and read some articles about what the church did around the financial reparation that they were ordered to pay to indigenous people in canada right and you're just like sorry how many of the whatever how many millions of dollars in legal fees did they pay for what oh how yeah, much or, how much did they the deliver yeah, or the or the billions and millions they spent on new churches in that time period. Yeah, exactly. As part of the reparation, we're gonna we're gonna install pastoral services in this community. It's like, yeah, yeah right? we're gonna Christianize them some more. Yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is. Um, it's really harsh and it's really harmful. And um, I'm, I'm proud of the youth who were like, this is over. This is over. My righteous rage is going to end this and burn it down and, and burn it down. And I'm, um, I'm proud of them. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it was healing for them. Mm -hmm. And um, that's really important. Like it, it was healing and when we when we take action to heal something that big like we we heal forwards and backwards we yeah. heal um we heal our grandparents we heal our great-grandparents we heal our parents even if they're the ones saying you shouldn't have done that to the church yeah. it's like no i'm doing this for you because you still think we shouldn't do this back to the church you know, I'm doing this for you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and yeah, I think, you know, it's uh, one of the things I've seen rise up a lot in um, tarot communities and magical communities is this idea of ancestral healing. And I think that, you know, I think that there's a lot of space where that also needs to not be necessarily gentle or whatever right like you say this is this is a profound act of of ancestral healing backwards through time which allows then the healing forwards in time in both directions and i think that a yeah. lot of what people kind of drift towards are things that are comfortable you know convenient don't don't cause a yeah. big disruption in their life and so on and and yet I think that we really need to be open to that, right? And I think that it's one of the great things about your deck. It's an invitation to be uncomfortable and to really look at stuff and to actually question things and look at what's going on in a in a way that isn't glossed over, right? By, you know, yeah. a fancy headdress or, you know, mainstream media or whatever, right? You know? Mm-hmm. 
And you know, my actual intention was like, when I read cards for myself, for my friends and family, for my community, I have to translate these Eurocentric understandings into an understanding that is not harmful to us um, and doesn't discount our lived realities. And that was how I created the deck. And when I did it, I was like, I've not just created the ability for us to read a tarot deck without translating it, but the ability for others to look at our point of view and in our worldview mm-hmm. and to um, start thinking about how common conceptions are harmful um, to other people in our society. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can see that in sort of the way in which you treated the, the hierophant and the way in which you treated the hermit, you know, because kind of from when I first looked at it, I was like, it's interesting. Cause you've kind of, um, from my, from my sort of point of view, transpose what I would associate with those cards a little bit. Right. I think that what I see based on talking about it a little bit more with you around the, the sort of shifts that you made around those cards is excising and adjusting where those things belong, right? Because of the Hierophant's association with the Catholic church and the, you know, in the older decks being the Pope and, and all of these things that, that through line can't make cultural sense in the same way, I think, right. Or maybe I'm putting words into your stuff. That isn't what you were thinking about, but. I think with the Hierophant for me, <laughs> A lot of the major arcana, I had to sit and think, this card has been given positive and negative connotations. Yeah. Which of those meanings are really my worldview? (laughs) And the positive and negative meanings in the Empress and the Emperor could be real with a name change. Mm -hmm. The positive meanings of the high advent just aren't real mm-hmm. um and and i think believing some of those positive meanings um isn't helpful and so i wanted to focus on the negative meanings. the name change was a lot about helping people separate what they're told about the high event about the pope about the church, about mm-hmm. the positive meanings, any of those three things contained together or separately. And, and saying, well, let's, let's look at this, a charlatan. Um, you know, that's... Um, they're not what they purport to be. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I thought about choosing um, a political figure or a spiritual figure. And so I went with Pipeline Perry. Mm-hmm. Um, because one thing even the tarot deck talks about is like that relationship between the emperor and the high band. And that is extremely real in so many aspects of our society. Um, yep. how much our secular nations are actually tied to the church. Yep. Um, you know, um, how much space churches have and how much power in relationship they have to, you know, heads of state, even so-called secular heads of state. Yep. And likewise, Pipeline Ferry has a token role that is very similar. Canada, you know, when they decided to, do you know the story of the AFM? No, why don't you, I mean, maybe, but why don't you tell it for people and, and to make sure I've got it right too. Sure. So in, I think it was the 50s, late 50s into the 60s, a group of, a group of, you know, fairly radical chiefs in indigenous communities um, and this is like before Indigenous people are citizens in Canada. 
um, decide like we're going to form uh, an Indigenous Brotherhood that will lobby the Canadian government. Um, and it happened in the 50s because it wasn't until then that we could legally take legal action, right? Yeah. Um, Which in and of and, itself is kind of an astounding statement, but yeah, carry on. Yeah. So eventually the government's like, great idea, guys, a lobby group. We should definitely fund this for you. And so it becomes the Assembly of First Nations. And um, you know, those early chiefs in Assembly of First Nations were sort of in a swing, but the Assembly of First Nations is a lobby group. It's just paid for by the government, it's lobbying. And um, the chief like isn't actually a chief, like they're not elected by indigenous people to run us all. They're elected by the Assembly of First Nations. <laughs> um, and, you know, Canada uses them as this like pseudo political spiritual leader. There is a spiritual aspect. Canadians like to think, you know, this, this grand chief who the government calls the leader of the Assembly of First Nations lobby group, the, the grand chief of Canada says this is what indigenous people want. And, you know, he performs these like things like smudging for the state and putting blankets on folks. Like he really is this like micro token role of the high offense, um, mm. except as a token, he doesn't have the same power balance that, you know, um that like the catholic and christian churches hold um i think what people don't understand is that they actually hold far more power in states than we really want to admit um because some of that power that they hold is that morality they have implemented within christianized society and euro western society Sure. And that morality gives them a lot of power. The tokenism and lack of power um, or less power that my charlatan holds to an actual high event is, is real. But their impacts on our communities are, mm -hmm. are really the same. Um, except um, it's not... It's not our morality um that is the charlatan's power is actually uh european canada's morality that uh that the charlatan holds mm -hmm. um they feel good listening to him yeah 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 i think it's it's very it's a really important question that i come back to and and i think you know it's obvious it's not obvious, but I see it a lot in the media, right? You know, when we're talking about different kinds of things, it's like, well, but the, the chiefs agreed or this person agreed or that person signed it or whatever. And it's all this sort of obfuscating of like, who, who actually has the authority to sign these things? Who are, who's even being yes. considered, like you know, legally, and, legally, the chief of the AFN does not legally, even in Canada's system, have authority to sign anything. But because Canadians don't understand that, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter that we as Indigenous folks understand that because Canadians believe he has the authority to sign it, even though the government knows he doesn't. Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't some secret. Um, but the other side of it is most Indigenous communities have elected chiefs and traditional chiefs. Mm -hmm. um, in order to get your money from the government on a reserve. And that money comes out of the First Nations Trust, not Canadian tax dollars. Go Google, folks. Um, you have to have an elected band council. And right mm -hmm. now, the Canadian government is pushing for new modern treaties that end Indigenous title. And so slowly, one by one, reserves are signing as they're being forced to. Very few Indigenous folks will elect a chief because it's that's not our chief, that's not our systems, that's not 
have we actually had chiefs and council and those people aren't serving us largely any more than your politicians are serving you sure but they're very directly serving our oppressors mm -hmm. and there are chiefs out there who understand that and do their best to stand in between and there's a lot who do serve government um, but chiefs only have um, rule over the reserve which isn't the treaty lands right when a treaty is signed it covers the treaty lands and then separately outside of treaty indigenous people have been put on a reserve within that treaty lands like a small tiny portion within those lands and then all those other lands they're still the treaty lands and some of those lands um Canada legally has access to and some they don't. Um, but um, under the, um, and part of why they want new treaties with elected chiefs is un those are signed with like traditional chiefs. <laughs> um, and traditional chiefs, like, and there, there is a decision in BC that what Soden keeps bringing back up and is using because um, they were a part of it that, yeah, actually the traditional chief has say over the treaty lands as a whole, and the elected chief only has say over the reserve itself. Um, and so, and with Soden, you see this in the traditional chiefs um, are, are standing behind that. And people wonder, well, how many people actually support those traditional chiefs? Approximately 70% of Indigenous people do not vote, including for elected chiefs. So approximately 70% of Indigenous people believe in traditional leadership. Um, in international law, treaty law, all of that actually protects that. But what Canadians don't know protects Canada. And what Canadians believe protects Canada. Mm -hmm. You know, like yeah. if Canada can't go and sign an agreement with a lobby group in the US on behalf of the United States. And if they did, Canada would be like, Canadians would be like, but but your your agreement's not legal. It wasn't with the president. It was with I don't know, the head of the NRA. Right. That's, that's not real. Yeah. <laughs> and and nobody would let that happen. But if for some stupid reason Canadians believe the head of the NRA could sign a, an international treaty for the president of the United States then Canada would have all the power to do it because mm -hmm. their people would support them and believe it yeah well and that's where I think people hopefully will continue to read and learn and get more educated about it too you know but yeah hopefully yeah and I mean, I, think I, I hope to inspire people to listen to other voices, mm -hmm. which means we have to change how we relate to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's back to that question of like, do you have a relationship with any Indigenous people or any indigeneity in your area, in your life, and whatever? And if not, Maybe it's time to look at how some of that can happen, you know, so. And I'm going to be even a little bit more harsh and real here. Please go. Considering how colonialism works. Yes. Who are your friends of color? Mm -hmm. Do they represent, you know, power and leadership? Or are they regular people? Um, because a lot of times you're going to be more comfortable with those who represent power and leadership and their words are going to be more comfortable for you to listen to. Right. Yeah. Um, pipeline Perry's words, like I'm sure they make, you know, the general Canadian population feel really good. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a really good point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And I think in some ways it's related to, to, to the other card, which I want to talk about a little bit was um, the healing card, right? Which is your, um, your Trump 21, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. I really like the idea that, you know, cause I mean like the world card, right. Is so often this sort of, you arrive at it. It's the culmination. It's, you know, it's, it's, the end or it's being in the perfect place forever as opposed to you know what you're talking about here which is uh, you know please say more about it but like the idea that that healing is not a destination really like it's a process that just continues you know it is and that's also why the extra zero card spirit went in there Mm -hmm. um i wanted to like make that journey from 21 to zero longer without it being 22. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted it to be more circular. Um, and um, he, healing is this journey. And, um, and it's ancestral and it's ongoing. And it, you, you had to prepare to like kind of never arrive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a and, very like Eurocentric idea, right? A very Christian idea. We're going to arrive. We're going to be enlightened. We're going to be saved. We're going to be whatever, right? And when you step out of that, you know, like when I, when I talk to my, you know, Lakumi elders and stuff, there's no notion of a destination. It's just like, well, we're, we're just living our life and we're doing things as we go. And we're not going anywhere other than we're going to die at some point. You know, it's, it becomes a very different conversation, which I think is really important, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, Daniel from Grounded in Magic, he and I had a conversation about enlightenment on on my YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And um, we can direct folks there later. But we were talking about that enlightenment is a fairly Christian, you're a Western idea. Um, you know, and, and it's also tied to like being above and, and that rising up that, you know, it's very hierarchical, really. Mm -hmm. Um, I am better when I'm above, when I'm enlightened, I will, I will rise above and this like fear of going down into the earth. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, kind of also a fear of rebirth um because you don't have rebirth if you if you finish right (laughs) yeah yeah Mm -hmm. no i dig it so maybe that's a good point to to leave it on let's oh no there's one more thing i wanted to talk about i made a note okay let's not stop it there let's continue for another moment um the other thing we talked about before we started which uh, was taking people at face value. And especially like we we're in the conversation, we we're talking about like neurodivergent people, people from, you know, indigenous culture, maybe other cultures. And, you know, and we talked about youth as well. Right. And sort of this question yeah. of taking people at face value and like, and, and I think that it's, you know, I just said something like a minute ago about like, you know, meeting indigenous people or other people, you know, and so on. And you're like, no, no, I want you to also really think about, are they the people who are like you serving the government, you know, whatever, or are they actually, you know, from, from a different background and with a different way of expressing themselves. And I think it's easy to like gloss over stuff like that, to not take that at face value. Right. And I think that there, we, we talked before the, the, podcast started a little bit about how people don't take you at face value and how you know how challenging that is so i'm curious if you want to say something about that yeah um yeah i would um and and there was a moment of something in there that i also wanted to comment on oh And we'll come out if it does. Yeah, um, we, oh, I remember what it was. I also did a talk once talking about that, like, look at your friends groups. You know, if, if you have like one friend of color 
Um, there, there's somebody who has learned to appease a, a full circle of white people. Um, and, and they're not, they're not going to tell you the truth because it's not safe to do so. Um, and so when, when they don't say to you, oh, that is racist, that that's because, um, they, they live in a circle where they can't say that. Whereas like a person of color who circle looks like them, there, it's going to be easier to tell, to tell their white friend, no, <laughs> no way. Mm -hmm. Um, and those sorts of relationships are actually really harder to make because like we talked about before, um, you, you're coming at it from these different cultural things. Yeah. Neurodivergent people will say what they mean. And you're a Western society does not. And so we don't take people at face value. And so any of us who are speaking at face value and while you also this is really common thing amongst neurodivergent people, which is why neurotypical people find them really uncomfortable to socialize with. <laughs> um, there is a lot of world indigenous cultures who don't have like, who also are going to speak at face value culturally from a cultural perspective. Um, because that part of Euro, Western society hasn't infiltrated the culture to that point. Um, and so it can be really common in different places to speak at face value. And it can be really frustrating <clears throat> when you're saying exactly what you mean and nobody's taking it that way. And equally frustrating that everybody who's not saying what they are meaning is like, Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you for not saying what you mean. I can mm -hmm. take this in much more comfortably. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, when marginalized people talk about their oppressions, it, it really needs to be taken at face value and not necessarily from like a Euro Western understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah because the understandings are are different you know people say we shouldn't like categorize oppression and stuff like that but you know having a traumatic experience is is different than having a traumatic life yeah mm -hmm. um and and that's the thing about like residential school survivors and Plus, scoop survivors and just people living under oppression where the system makes sure that you're going to face these like state traumas over and over again. Um, it has an entirely different impact. Um, it's not something that, you know, you can arrive at a healing. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it will be a constant healing. Yeah. Because it's yeah. also not going to end. <laughs> sure. That's no, certainly, you know, yeah, it just continues, right? It just continues and yeah. continues. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, to come back full circle, that comes back to that righteous rage, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. A very non-Christian concept to, like, cleanse it in the fire. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> But it is cleansing in so many beliefs, right? Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Well, I want to thank you for making time and hanging out with me today and sharing all of this stuff. Um, I really hope that folks are going to, you know, follow you and support your work and so on. Where should they come and hang out? You mentioned you have a YouTube channel. Um, you know, where, where's... I do have a YouTube channel. Yeah. It's um, anti-case tarot insights. Um, and 
Uh, I have political conversations on there as well as spiritual conversations and tarot conversations. Um, I am on Instagram. I'm been setting up and learning this week um, Patreon and Discord. Uh-huh. And um, you know, there's tiers you can support on that, but you can also just like be on the general Discord and and just follow along too if that's where you're at. Um, and um, I'm uh, I'm working on on making that shift away from um, and and seeing how I can integrate into shifting into like Discord um, mm-hmm. and um, for a platform um, in a way from a lot of how the algorithms on Facebook and Instagram um, support a polarization. Yeah. Um, my tarot posts and my spiritual posts on my tarot channel on Instagram do not get the same put towards them as my political stuff. And great political things are being boosted, but they're boosting it for the polarization. Yeah. They are boosting it in a hopes of negative commentary. And, and then all of a sudden the visibility on it disappears because I just delete negative commentary. I keep my space safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I go check out my Discord and Patreon because I am really interested in looking at having like a space that is able to be intentionally safe and what it's meant for mm-hmm. and um, and learning how we can interact within these same communities we've found on Instagram on, on these other platforms. Um, where we have a lot more control of our own content yeah, and sure. um, super, super yeah. smart. And, you know, I think that like, yeah, these, these platforms aren't owned by us, right. Instagram and whatever. And if you're not, if you're not yeah. paying up front, then you, then you're mm-hmm. there at their pleasure and it's problematic, you know, and it's, it's, you know, like you see it with a lot of see it with sex workers. You see it with like, people of color you see it with you know like all sorts of different marginalized people and it's just like yeah so i'm i'm, I'm yeah. glad you're making your own space so that they mm-hmm. won't have the power to come and flick a button and turn you off and be like oh you violated some random thing somewhere yeah trying to figure it out and see where it's at um yeah. i don't know about discord but i do know patreon isn't a safe space for sex workers either um, and, and I think that's worth noting and considering. Um, but I am I'm sort of using Patreon just as like, here's here's a way to support with money, but come to the Discord. <laughs> um, and um, and I'm going to be learning some questions and things about these very topics from Shop the Eighth House this week. Um, you know, what sort of freedoms do we have on discord? Mm -hmm. Um, who is safe on discord? Um, so I'm really interested and I'm really excited. So go there and YouTube. (laughs) That was so long winded. That's great though. I think it's, (laughs) I think it's good though. I mean, that's, that's, that's part of the conversation, right? You know, and I think that it's, you know, I think it's really important to have those conversations, think about these kinds of things, because I think a lot of people, at various points have felt safe or felt like they owned their, their whatever's on these platforms and then stuff comes up and they feel unsafe and then you fall back into it, you know, and they, they lull you back into a sense of peace for a while. Then it kicks back up again. And it's, you know, it's, it's always got its problems and it's always, you know, the more radical or challenging your stuff is, you know, not you, but everybody, right. The more the more you run into those things there and it's just yeah it's not great so for me on facebook um i was on facebook um with a political page Mm -hmm. and um i had so much reach on there which was awesome because if there was someone who needed mutual aid 
I could raise it on my page like thousands in a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, no, I totally have control over this. Like I've, I've got all the, ex, you know, reach I need. I'm reaching the right people. I'm blocking people who are problematic. So therefore I have control. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, when I was no longer like active there, um, I felt, especially anytime I went and checked it, like what level of emotional control, the impact of operating in that negative focus algorithm was having on me. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> um, and so while everything feels good on Instagram right now, I'm like aware that it could become very similar. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good to get well the get well. It's not a uh, pressing, right? So it's, so it's not yeah. like suddenly like, Oh, I showed up and I'm locked out or I showed up and whatever. It's so much, so much, hopefully better. Locked to... out. I, the political page I had on Facebook, um, I was active an average of three to seven days a month. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, without being like, and then I'd be banned again for a month. Um, so they were banning me, but it still had so much access that it, like, it had, it helped their algorithm so well that even if I was locked out, it was doing well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's all really scary. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to include the links to, uh, your stuff in the show notes and all right. yeah, I want to thank you again for making the time and having this conversation with me. It was, has been every bit as interesting and, uh, and insightful as I was hoping it would be. So thank you. You're welcome. It was great to have this conversation. Um, I really enjoyed it. And so I hope to talk to you like more and I will send you those links. enjoyed this episode i think there is a lot of really important content here uh and that we should all be paying a lot of attention to what's going on especially here in north america with the indigenous communities there's a lot to check out and a lot that's happening and now seems to be a really powerful time of change um, i also want to thank everybody who is supporting the podcast of course uh, and if you are looking for ways to uh, engage or support more, uh, you can certainly get in touch. Uh, I also always appreciate everybody who uh, supports the store. Uh, you know, we deliver everywhere. So if there's stuff you're looking for, maybe we've got it and we can arrange to have it sent to you. Or if you're in Toronto, you're welcome to drop by and shop in person. All right. Talk to you all soon. We'll be back next week with Christy Road, the uh, creator of the Next World Tarot.